Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais with episode number 178 of The Yacking Show. Every week, we're getting closer to that magical 200. This is a show to enlighten you, enable you, and hopefully entertain you to help you develop a new perspective for the changing world we're living in. And it's certainly changing. And today's guest is going to be talking about some of the changes we need to be aware of. He's an expert in his field, but it's not my job to introduce guests because Kathleen does it so much better than I do. First priority then is to introduce co-host Kathleen Beauvais from Waterloo, Ontario. Hi, Kathleen. Nice to be back on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great, Peter, and thank you so much for that kind intro. And we want to thank you also very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you. And of course, we love reading those comments. So please keep those coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. We'd love to hear from you. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. His name is Guy Powell. Welcome to the show, Guy. How are you? Thank you, Kathleen. Very good. Really appreciate being here. Now, Guy, you are the founder of Pro Relevant. You're a global thought leader in marketing strategy and return on investment, or ROI. Uh, you provide marketers with strategies, tools, and tactics to continuously improve their marketing ROI and exceed their company's sales and profit goals. Uh, most recently, you've written a book titled The Post-COVID Marketing Machine, Prepare Your Team to Win. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. You've also written other books as well. But first, for our audience, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what uh, led you to start ProRelevant? Sure. Uh, probably the uh, the real impetus between behind writing the books as well as starting the company was I was VP of marketing for a, a technology company, and we were selling products to uh, consumers and to and to businesses. And I said to the uh, the CEO, I said, you know, if we had just a few more million dollars, we could do some really good things. And he responded to me, he says, Guy, I why the H would I invest in you when I can just hire some more salespeople and just be out in the streets and, and make more money that way. And that right there was the impetus for me to put together this whole concept of marketing ROI, which was really just in its nascent stages around the world. And since then I wrote, a, I wrote uh, my first book was then uh, return on marketing investment and then uh, marketing calculator and marketing machine. And now post COVID marketing machine. And that's how I got into it and got into consulting after that. And that's where really the foundation of, of ProRelevant started. Excellent. Very interesting. So I've got to ask you, though, you call it the marketing machine. And on your website, you talk about getting into the right gear, one, two, and three, and, and a few other analogies with motor cars, mechanical, engineering, whatever. So did you start out in the mechanical world as opposed to the marketing world? No, actually, I, I was in the engineering world. So I started ah. out as an electrical engineer. And so maybe that's where it came from. Right. And I will admit, the engineering does give me the mathematical background. And one of the things that's kind of funny is now with building a marketing machine and the analytics, it's all around basically statistics, although it's now machine learning and AI and so statistics on steroids. 
And when I was an engineer, I hated statistics. I loved math. I hated statistics. So now I'm into math, uh, a, a lot of that, but also then a lot of statistics. So. A lot of statistics. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I, I asked because way back in 1986, I did an advanced marketing course at the University of Cape Town Graduate School of Business. And that was, uh, for me in that part of the world at that time, was our first real uh, getting into statistics in a real detailed way to help marketers. And uh, so when I saw the marketing machine, and I love mechanics and motors and all this, so I thought I've got to ask you enough about <laughs> machines. Back to Kathleen. <laughs> so, Guy, can you tell us about, well, tell us how marketers, some marketers fail to move on from the statistical model to analyze market success? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't know if I would actually classify it as moving from statistics to success. I mean, if the statistics are done right, then the uh, then you are looking at success. And, and that's really critical. But, you know, sometimes you don't necessarily need the statistics to really understand how, how you're going to have success in the marketplace. On the other hand, if you use statistics uh, and machine learning and AI uh, to build your marketing machine, then yes, you are working at it so that you'll have real market success. Now, I will admit some companies will do the analytics and do the statistics, and then they'll kind of put it off to the side and not use it. That happens quite a bit. Mm -hmm. You'll have marketers, especially uh, agencies, where they feel constrained by the statistics and they want to have kind of the freedom to be able to do the creative they, the way they want to, as opposed to taking the statistics and saying, wow, here is the data, here's how we need to analyze that, and here is how we're going to win in the marketplace. So yes, it, there's kind of a, a pretty loose term in terms of uh, how you, know, you would relate the statistics and marketing success and then what marketers actually do in the marketplace. Hmm. Okay. Uh, interesting. And this leads on to what I was going to ask you. I know on your website, you, you talk about um, your experience in analyzing uh, computer short-term responses to advertising and other activities compared to the impact of brand health and, and imagery in the long term. Do you want to talk a bit more about that? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so in all of our analytics, basically, the, the primary concept is I do some advertising today and I see sales go up and then they'll go down. And so what our goal is then from an analyst perspective is to say, well, I did this advertising. I spent a million dollars. I saw sales go up by 50 million and then they went back down again. And so the logic behind all of the anal analytics is to say that that $1 million generated that 50 million in sales. Now, that's a short-term response. So I, for, for example, with soap, and I've got a, a, an example on there, uh, actually out of CPG, which is Dove, and it's not really soap, but nevertheless, for you know, a, a fast-moving consumer packaged goods kind of a product, They'll do advertising today, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they'll see an enormous sales for, of their product. The problem, though, is that marketers not only need to sell today and this weekend, but they need to set the company up or the brand up so that they can sell next month, next quarter, next year. And that's then where the brand uh, comes in. 
And unfortunately, it takes time to really build the brand in the minds of the consumers. So as I'm advertising and getting my message out and getting my message out, and as that message builds, then finally, I'm going to hopefully have a brand that is slightly better than what the competition is doing. And then when I'm better, when that emotional piece is better, which takes a long time to drive, then when the consumer is standing at the shelf and I'm looking at Olay and I'm looking at Dove and I'm trying to make a choice and I, and I really, man, I really loved uh, Dove because it really did a, uh, you know, I just think it, it connects directly to me. I'm going to pay that extra 10 cents for Dove, even though I could get the Olay at a cheaper price because it just has that emotional brand to it. Mm-hmm. And building that brand just takes a lot of time. It just takes uh, it you know, whether it's three months, three years, or even longer, it just takes a lot of time and a lot of advertising and a lot of experience with the brand to, you know, build that up so that that choice to be able to say, I'm going to spend more on Dove versus Olay actually takes place when that consumer is standing in front of the shelf in the, in the grocery store. Right. I'm going to throw something else in for, to get your comment on as well. Uh, so marketers of fast moving consumer goods, at times must think about think like marketers of less fast moving goods. And I, I give you a prime example that uh, being a handyman, I have a thing called a leather man on my belt all the time. I don't know if you know the tool. I'm a, I've been a farmer a lot of my life. right? <laughs> so it has a lifetime guarantee. And I've had this one for my wife bought it for me for Christmas present over 15 years. And I broke a screwdriver blade and I thought they had a guarantee. So I emailed them and said, um, can you send me a spare blade? They said, no, no, we don't do that. You send it to us. We'll fix it. We'll send it back. We'll pay the shipping to get it back. And we have a depot in Canada. You don't even have to send it to Oregon. And they did it perfectly. So that's going to stick in my mind forever. And I don't care what advertising or do or don't see for Leatherman. If I want to buy one for a present, I'm going to buy one. And I, I've seen analogies about engaged diamond engagement rings that marketers of diamond engagement rings must have that thinking because you might not need a diamond engagement ring today, but you might need one or another type of ring in 10 years' time. So are more and more consumer goods marketers doing that, in your opinion? Oh, that absolutely. Thinking? A- absolutely. And, and, and it really has two components to that. One of them is something that has a, a very long lifetime and even uh, uh, home builders. So uh, here in Atlanta, we have the Pulte Group. And uh, one of the things that they're concerned about, for example, is if I sell a home today to, let's say, a first-time home buyer, they're probably going to buy a new home in three or four years, and they want to retain that that couple right. when they move to their next home. So absolutely, there's clearly a, uh, you know, a critical piece to that for them to uh, think about that long term. The other piece, though, that is also important, which I call high consideration products. So low consideration, my example with Dove and Olay, those are kind of sure. low consideration. Sure. I go into the store and I make a, I make a choice. Um, and high consideration could be a car, could certainly be that home but could be a car or could be something where I'm really going to do some information gathering. And as I'm building uh, my, my knowledge about the product and the brand and the knowledge about the competitive brands, and then starting to educate myself, that's a critical piece for how that high consideration product builds itself within the minds of the, uh, of the consumer. And so absolutely, that's a critical thing. And, and I'd say probably most marketers are not in cons- fast moving consumer packaged goods 
goods. They're mo they're probably more in the slower moving kinds mm -hmm. of products. And then certainly the same thing with B two B, where you're selling uh, some kind of a service or a machine, even selling a marketing machine to a big marketer. That could take you know months and months for them to actually sure. make a decision sure. and, and and go from there. Sure. Ah, very good. Thank you, Kathleen. Well, Guy, you mentioned your books earlier. Can you give us a little bit more detail into, into these fabulous books that you've written? Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you and for asking. And also let so, us know, let, us, let our viewers know how they can buy them. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, first of all, you can buy them uh, on Amazon. So amazon.com, look for Guy Powell or look for post-COVID marketing machine or marketing machine, number one. Number two, you can go to my website, which is marketing machine dot prorelevant.com marketingmachine.prorelevant.com and you can find uh, the links to the books and a little write-up on them and a blurb and you can find the podcasts and other uh, valuable information about the content so i have really uh, my latest book is called the post-covid marketing machine and kind of to uh, peter's point about you know things being changing and and what have you um, as he mentioned before we are now out of what appears to be out of the uh, the covid uh the covid spike that we had and things changed things changed in a big way and in order to help marketers to really do the best that they can so that they can you know keep their team winning so that they can drive towards success they need to understand how consumers changed how they changed their behavior and they changed their behavior in three ways and this is really what's in the book the post covid marketing machine they changed their purchase behavior so now i remember early on in in uh, when covid hit I got into the car and I was driving over to Walmart and I says, why am I driving over to Walmart? I could just go to walmart.com or amazon.com and find the thing and, and, and be done with it. Mm -hmm. And so that purchase behavior, number one, has changed. Consumers are now, uh, you know, to a large extent, looking for products and, and in gaining information and investigating products and brands uh, on, the, on the internet. The second thing that changed is how the consumers are consuming media. It used to be that you'd watch a TV show or you'd be looking at, you know, playing a game on your, on your laptop or whatever it was, and you were, you were consuming media in a certain way. Then what happened with COVID is all of a sudden people were binging on different programs. They're watching stuff at home. And sometimes they were uh, doing, uh, you know, paid for uh, channels or they're doing subscriber based or, you know, advertising led channels. And just depending on how they now consumed media changed the way that marketers had to respond. So one of our clients, for example, uh, uh, has B2B clients and their clients weren't in the office anymore. So sending a direct mail piece made no sense. So they had to stop. So the consumer consumption, the consumer media consumption behavior changed. And then the third thing was, is that the response behavior changed. And for me, I mean, I would go on, I'd see the ad on TV or I'd see the ad somewhere and I'd type in or, I, or what have you. <clears throat> and I'd immediately start investigating as opposed to not doing that. You know, I might go into the store and I'm a little bit older, so I'd probably be more likely to go into the store. Now I see something on the internet, on, the, on, the, on, on TV or on the internet, I immediately start investigating it. And that behavior is now very different, especially for the older generation, maybe Gen X millennials and uh, maybe less so millennials, but the boomers and stuff like that. And uh, so uh, and then the, the other component that's really interesting that I've seen 
and that really also started with uh, with with COVID is that QR codes are now being shown in the ads. Now, I will admit they haven't figured out exactly how to do it because by the time I get my phone out to take a picture of it, it's off the screen. So I haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, but nevertheless, the QR code now has taken off. Everybody's using QR mm -hmm. codes. And so that uh, media consumption behavior changed. And that's then what's in my book, The, the Post-COVID Marketing Machine. And, you know, Guy, I, would, I, yeah, I agree with you in terms of the online sales that have, that have increased substantially in, in the pan, during the pandemic, but not just for small ticket items. We're looking, I've read that even big ticket items like pieces of furniture are now being ordered online. Uh, so it's exactly, yeah, absolutely. it's a huge, it's a huge trend. And I don't see that ending anytime soon. Do you? No, and I, I agree. Uh, one of our clients is a, uh, they, they provide furniture and, uh, and that's exactly what happened. It used to be, they would, you know, you would go into the store, you'd sit in the rocking chair, you'd sit in the couch or whatever it was and test it out. Now you don't even do that. You just basically look online, you do the zoom in or whatever, and you buy it right there. And, and the, and the other thing though, that's happened with that is that the comfort and the confidence that I can return it if I don't like it mm -hmm. is there. Because mm -hmm. if I couldn't return it, if I spent $1,000 on a couch or whatever it happens to be, and, and I couldn't return it, then all of a sudden, I, you know, I would probably not be buying it online. So what's really critical is also that returns policy. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you know, the customer service support system needs to be in place. And just like what Peter was mentioning about the letter, uh, what do you call it, Peter, the leather man? Leather man. Yeah. <laughs> leather man. There you go. Back to you, Peter. I just want to pick up on something the guy mentioned there with all these four changes that I, I made a note of those. They're really good. Uh, what's happened to the mix of the different media? I would imagine radio has been seriously affected because of the drop in number of people commuting. However, with more people sitting at home, are they on the radio or are they just listening to stuff on their computer? So what's your experience with the effect on radio post-COVID? Well, and there's a couple of channels which uh, would surprise you. Um, one of the things, there's certainly new channels coming up. Mm -hmm. I mean, podcasts like this are yeah, just, sure. they're exploding and, sure. uh, mm -hmm. and advertisers are still trying to figure out how best to use them, whether they have their own or whether they advertise on the podcast. There's a, a handful of things that are going on there. Definitely radio is declining because it used to be if I was driving to the office, I'd be on, uh, you know, I'd have time to listen to the radio and right. that's gone down significantly. It's starting to come back. But then the second piece, though, is now instead of listening to the radio, they're listening to either a podcast or e even a TV show. Uh, they're listening to it through their through their phone, through the, the car speakers, and they're not listening to the radio anymore. Radio. So absolutely, the radio, uh, radio uh, listenership has gone way down. Um, there was a, a couple of surprises, though, in terms of print advertising going up. Mm -hmm. And what we found um, was that for some of the very specialty magazines, the actual readership went up, and uh, which was a little bit surprising, and the viewership or the readership went up, and so uh, you know that was probably the the biggest surprise. And then lastly, I think what it, which isn't a surprise is uh, there's two kinds of TV. There's the smart, there's the TV advertising that goes to a smart TV, and then there's the advertising that's just kind of broadcast. So the one is called linear, the other is called connected TV. And the linear has gone way down and the connected yeah. TV has gone way up. 
Uh, that that I would imagine, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. The red, the magazine one is interesting though, but I know again, being an older guy, spending most of my day on the computer, I quite like to pick up something tangible and hold it and read a printed page. So, uh, some some magazines that I get, I don't pay for various things. I used to put straight into the recycling. I now read parts of them because I yeah. Well, you know what's funny, yeah, Peter. You know what's funny too is you have behind you two bookshelves. And if I'm buying all electronic books on Kindle or whatever it happens to be, those bookshelves are going to be gone. We're not going to need bookshelves anymore. I know. So I, yeah. Uh, for for nonfiction, I, I still prefer to have a book because I have a Kindle and it's very handy. If I'm going to know I'm going to be waiting at the doctor's office, I can have four books in the Kindle and take my pick. But um, if it's a nonfiction, so I want to study there's no way I can get as much out of an electronic book from highlighting and flipping pages. And that. so I, yeah, maybe the younger guys have got it taped. I certainly haven't. I, I so, hate to say it. I agree with you hundred percent. I, you know, I, on my book, I've got to, I, you, you know what, I want to write in the margins. I want to do something. Yeah. And even though I've tried that with the Kindle, it's just, it's very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. The, the flipping back to try and find a specific page. You know, when you can just thumb through, you can say, yes, you can see one word and say, that's what I want. With a Kindle, you've got to, I don't know. Anyway, so yep. I want to move, move, change direction very slightly. On your website, you've got a number of case studies of successes you've had. So to give our audience some highlight. You know, obviously, you've got to respect your business's confidentiality, but just perhaps a couple of different industries, some highlights from your, your long career in marketing success. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, thank you for that. The one of the biggest challenges uh, a marketer has in and an analyst has is in the data. And I like to say it's a four letter word for a reason. Data is hard. And especially when you get into uh, like the non CG kinds of industries, Mm -hmm. uh, very, very difficult. And when you get into like furniture industries and, uh, even, uh, uh, home improvement industries, the data is very hard to get. And in, in an ideal world, I call it the, the four P three C one E, uh, data framework. I want all four P's product price, place, promotion over time. I want that Mm -hmm. in a nice time series. And in CPG, you get that most industries, you don't get that. Then I want to know about the competition, same kind of thing. And so it all has to do with the, uh, with the data and how you can get the data. So, and where I'm going with that is we're working for a, a museum and uh, uh, it's a big museum and they had, uh, they, they did great. They took off, they launched. And as things go, you know, their, their data collection kind of got bolted on. They'd add this, they'd add that. And after a while, they, they had total spaghetti in their data. And one of the things we did as part of their analytics then was to straighten out that spaghetti so that they actually could do some analytics and could visualize the data and actually see those connections. So when they did an ad on, uh, you know, on CTV or whatever it happens to be, they could see the sales, uh, you know, coming from it. And they could actually, you know, look at that time series and really be able to uh, see what's going on in their business. Uh, That's one case study. The other one is we worked with, um, on on the website, there's a a case study with Aflac. Uh, They asked us, we're about to do our first Super Bowl ad. And we want to know, first of all, what's the expectation for it? Number one. And then number two is after the fact is how well did it perform? And so we had a model in place. So we had all the analytics in place and we took all the data that we could from that ad and the viewership. And, you know, basically at the time there were 110 million viewers 
households viewing the, uh, the Super Bowl, which is an enormous number. And so taking that data and a handful of other things, we were able to make a projection of how successful that ad would be. And then after the fact, we were able to, uh, you know, actually analyze and determine, yes, it was as successful as we wanted it to be. And what, what's interesting is they, they ended up getting a pretty good deal uh, at the last minute on that on that ad. And so then instead of paying, let's say, $5 million for 30 seconds, they got it for something ex- substantially less. And because they got that substantially less, then that that ad had a very positive ROI. If they had paid then the full uh, the full rate, the regular rate that gets publicized, then it would have had a negative ROI. Right, right. But you you could show them the whole story. So that was excellent. Very good. Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. And it was kind of fun too, because the, uh, you know, there was some contention in the ranks, so to speak. Well, should we do our first Super Bowl ad or should we stick with traditional? And it was mm-hmm. a kind of nice then for the, well, for the one side anyway, that we were yeah. able to support them and say, yes, this actually did work. And yes, you did get value from it. You got value from it. Very good. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Kathleen. So, so guy, tell us what, what you think where marketing is going in the next five, 10 years from now. Where, where do you think? It's all going. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a handful of uh, trends that are definitely taking place. One is this kind of mass one-to-one marketing. And what I mean by that is that I can market to people that look like Guy Powell, that live in Atlanta, that you know have a certain age, a certain income, and I can market to them very consistently and with the right message tailored to him versus tailored to somebody uh, right next door to me, my neighbor. And so that one-to-one marketing, but doing it in a mass way, so I can do it across, you know, the 300 million people in the country. Uh, That's a big one, and that's still progressing, and that'll probably be going on for the next uh, five years, maybe. The other one that I think is a little further out, but I think is just as important, and certainly people are starting to try and figure out is what's called the metaverse. Not familiar, don't know if you're familiar with it, but Mm -hmm. what it is basically is a... I don't know, an augmented reality or a virtual reality way to look at your, uh, your world and being able to cross over from the virtual into the real and in, from the real into the virtual and brands trying to figure out how they can win in both cases. So it may be I buy some, uh, some Nike sports shoes in the virtual world and then in the real world, I buy something similar or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's, I think there's going to be some very interesting things going on, especially as the younger generation, which, I mean, they're spending, I don't know, five, six hours a day online. So they are just like so close to being okay. online and marketers and brands mm-hmm. figuring out how, how to take advantage of that is, is really then kind of the next trend after this mass one-to-one marketing. Oh, that's interesting. So before I ask you my burning question, which is coming up next, and I'm seeing you're smiling, uh, in my perception is that we've had a new division thrown into society over this whole COVID thing, which transcends in many ways religious differences, racial differences, and political differences. Um, You know, I'm on one side of the fence, but this program is not about me. And I find for first, and I'm very conservative, the first time in my life, I I have liberals agreeing with me and me agreeing with liberals on (laughs) our views of what's been happening over COVID. And I talk to other people and they say, well, I'm liberal. And for the first time in my life, I've got conservatives who who are taking my viewpoint of what's happening over COVID lockdowns, etc. I'm not arguing whether it's all right or wrong. 
I find it really interesting to see yet another divide come into society, which seems to transcend in many ways, religion, race, social standing, income. Are you seeing that? Um, well, from a marketing perspective, uh, less so. And not, okay. that, not that that's not important from a uh, political perspective. And I, mm-hmm. I, I shy away from doing any political marketing. It's all sure. business marketing. But uh, from a business perspective, it's, uh, it's less so. And the reason I think for that is that even though I could potentially find uh, a group of people that, are, uh, that agree on one way to handle COVID versus another, the way I'm going to market to the one audience versus the other may not have any real differences depending upon the product. If I'm selling shirts, both groups are going to buy shirts. If I'm selling couches, both groups are going to buy couches. Um, There might be a slight difference in the, in the message. uh, But so far I haven't seen that. And, and now that we're kind of post COVID uh, you know, that's kind of fading hopefully into the dark, into the darkness of our memories. And, and so it'll be even less and less, a, a less a factor. Interesting. Okay. So, so here's a burning question. And I ask this of all our successful guests, and you're definitely right up in that category. So in your long experience working with, with many businesses and many people, uh, looking at business leaders, would you say there's a character, single characteristic mindset, habit, whatever you want to call it, that differentiates the successful, well-balanced? I don't just mean about making money. I mean, successful in its full complexity from those who remain average and never really make it. Is there something? Yeah, I think there's there's two things there, and I, I don't know exactly which one I would emphasize more. One of them is curiosity and constant learning, yeah. and the other wow. one is perseverance. Yeah. And uh, and I, and I don't know which one I would weight more, but curiosity and constant learning. I I just love to learn new stuff, and and sometimes I spend a lot of time learning trivial stuff. But you never know, you know, it's just fascinating. <laughs> And, and, and I think from a marketer's perspective, it's how can I learn more about my consumers? Mm-hmm. How can I learn more? How can I research more to just get that tiny little piece of information, which might actually make my day and, and make me the leader in the category versus not? Yep. From a, and I think the other thing, though, that I, I see a lot of people and I do a lot of mentoring of younger marketers, and I, I think one of the hardest things is being to persevere. And mm-hmm. I think, you, you know, you do have to give up at some time, but I'm, and maybe I, maybe I stick to things way too long, but I think perseverance and just sticking to your guns is really, really hard. And so often you see people that dwell as a shiny object over there yep. or the shiny object over there. And, but persevering on your, on your, on your, on your way is, I, I, that's really hard to do. And I, and I think yet that's one reason why managers and executives are very successful is, uh, mm-hmm. is the combination of some, in some way of those two. Yeah. And, and you're spot on because curiosity comes up frequently with the top guys that we talk to, uh, constant learning. Yes. Perseverance many times. And, and just about every successful person rates those and a couple of others, but not many more than skills, education, uh, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. Thank you for that guy. You've, you've yeah, added, absolutely. added yeah, to I my think... faith in, uh, in human <laughs> nature and curiosity. <laughs> yeah. I, and I don't think there's, you know, necessarily intelligence or learning or whatever. I think it's, it's those, those, there's a set of, of skills or talents that are under, that are underneath that. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, curiosity, perseverance, and whatever it happens to be. Thank you. Absolutely right.
Back and to you, Kathleen. You know what, Peter? I think you just, it, that's absolutely true. Um, I mean, we've done these shows together for how many shows now? 178. And it's yeah. true when you ask that very question. Not one mention education, skill set, or anything like that. It was it was always something uh, such as perseverance, focus, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. Anyways, Guy, we are running low on time. Yeah. And I know that you've uh, told our audience how to buy your books and to contact you, but I'm going to have you repeat it just uh, one, one last time, please. Absolutely. Thank you. So the, uh, the book is post post COVID marketing machine, and you can find it on Amazon. And so either look for post COVID marketing machine or Guy Powell, and you'll be able to find it there, or you can go to my website and you'll be able to find a couple of other uh, books. One of the books is the precursor to that is called marketing machine. And that uh, you can find those on marketing machine dot pro relevant dot com marketing machine dot pro relevant dot com got it we'll put those links under the video and for our audio listeners it's in the description they will be in the description thanks thank you really appreciate it guy it was such a pleasure to have you on the show so thank you very much and uh, to our audience thank you for tuning in once again and until next time take care everyone bye-bye bye everybody bye